I'll send you this, sir. <laughs> oh, you're going to use the other one. Yep. Hey. Good to see you guys. Thanks for loving on our kids and taking such good care of them this morning. They're having a blast down with you guys there. It's awesome. Uh, this is my wife, Michaela. She's uh, the beautiful one over there, and it's a pleasure getting to do this with her, too, on this big adventure God sent us on. When I was 23 years old, I found myself on an airplane descending into China with my best friend sitting in the seat next to me. And we had volunteered to go to China for a year to help tell college students about Jesus. And I was scared out of my mind because I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know any Chinese. I didn't know anything about China. I didn't know anything about being a missionary, anything like that. But I knew I wanted to make myself available to God. And so I remember just landing there and getting off the plane and looking around and saying, God, what are you going to do? And Jesus changed me so radically that year. And he used me, who had no idea what I was doing, to help bring so many of his lost kids back home. It transformed me forever. And as I came back from that year, we just said, God's doing something amazing in China. We have to send other young people into this. And out of that was when Campus Target was born. And all kinds of amazing young people have been going over there in the years since and seeing God do amazing things through their lives. There's something special going on in China right now. And I, I'm hoping even for, out of this church right here, God would send a few young people into China to see that nation transformed through their testimony. But the thing really that God did that changed me so much during that first year in China was he showed me just how much he loves every one of his lost kids that hasn't come home yet and just how far he will go to bring them back. One of the guys we met during our first week in China was a guy named Ren. And I remember we had lunch with him, just like Pastor was saying, a, a few weeks later, and we were just talking with him and connecting, and just in the midst of relationship, just sharing naturally about how Jesus had changed us. 
And as we were just sharing about how Jesus had changed, this guy's eyes got so bright and he seemed so interested and he started asking us all kinds of questions and seemed like he was just being touched as we were sharing the gospel with him. And Matt and I looked at each other and we're like, this is probably the first guy who's going to choose to follow Jesus. This is amazing. God's using us right now. And then right in the middle of the conversation, he interrupted and he goes, oh, by the way, I just want you to know, I'm a member of the Communist Party. I didn't really know what that meant, but it kind of seemed like a threat the way he said it. I knew the communists were not really big on sharing the gospel in China, and so we kind of like aborted mission in that sharing experience. And I remember talking to Matt afterwards and saying, what was that all about? We need to give Ren a few weeks of space to kind of figure out what, what, what he meant by that. And so it was a couple weeks later, we were walking on the campus, I remember it was the day after Christmas, and we saw Ren off in the distance. He said, hey, Toby, Matt, we said, hey, Ren, long time no see. He said, guess what? We said, what? He said, I became a Christian. I said, you became a what? We didn't even tell you how to do that yet. He said, he said I became a Christian. I said, so what happened? And he began to tell the story. He said, I've been involved with some stuff with a girl, and so I'd gone to the health clinic on campus to have some tests done, and they came back HIV positive. I said, whoa. He said, I didn't know what to do. I, I felt like my life was over. I just felt totally numb. I just was walking around campus, and I didn't even know what to, to think about, and in China at that time especially, not only is obviously the disease very serious, but there was a ton of stigma connected to HIV where he might even get kicked out of his university and lose chances for jobs in the future. And so he just felt like his life was over. He said, I just, I, I finally, I went back to my dorm. I just walked up the three stories to my dorm room and I was just beginning to cry. He said, and I just knelt down on the side of my bed and I was, just, I was crying. My life was over, Toby. He said, as I was kneeling there by my bed, I looked up and through his tears, on his roommate's bookshelf, he saw a Chinese Bible. Now, his roommate wasn't a Christian. He was just a religion major. But he had a Chinese Bible that was sitting there. And he remembered what we had told him about Jesus. And so he walked over and he took that Bible off the shelf. And he'd never really read the Bible before, didn't know where to look or anything. And he just kind of opened it randomly. And the words that jumped off the page to him were, you will be healed. He shut that Bible. That freaked him out a little bit. And he's telling me this right on campus. He says, I told me, I went over to the Bible a second time, and I opened it up to a totally random place again, and I said, I will heal you. A third time, he opens up the Bible, and it's a scripture about healing. And so he, he doesn't know how to pray or anything, so he said, I, I just started making promises to God. I said, God, if you will heal me, I'm going to serve you for my whole life. He said, I'm going to tell my family and friends about you. He said, I'm going to change my birthday to today. We, we didn't even teach him about being born again. He figured that out on his own. And he said, I, I get a scholarship at school. He said, I'm going to give my scholarship away to someone who needs it more than I do. And so he kind of just feels peace just kind of come over him in that moment, and he finally falls asleep on his bed. The next morning, he goes back into the clinic on campus for his confirming tests, and it comes back totally clean. He's totally healed. So he says, Toby, I'm going to follow Jesus with my whole life. He says, I'm, I'm going to go home and tell my family and friends about him. He said, I got a new birthday. It's today. He said, I just have one question. Do I have to give my scholarship away? <laughs> I said, Ren, we'll let you figure that out with the Holy Spirit. But man, that was just the experience of that year where we're just, I, I, I'm bumbling around feeling afraid in the conversations I'm having, and God is stepping in and doing this incredible thing. And I stepped back from it afterward. I thought, wow, how far... God was willing to go so that this guy could meet him. First, he had to send two goofy guys from America over to China who would sit with him at lunch and have that conversation. And then after that conversation, he had to be involved in this thing with this girl. And he had to have this test come back positive for HIV. 
And then he has to be sitting there with the Bible, and God has to literally break the laws of probability, so he opens to a scripture about healing three times in a row, and then God has to come down from heaven and touch his body and heal him. All of that is what he would do, that he could just bring one, just one, of his lost kids back home. That is how your father feels about every person that doesn't know him. You know, honestly, it was just during worship today, I just felt the Lord give me a word for your guys' church. And it was just that he is pleased with you as a church. I just felt like he wanted to speak of that about a few things. That he, his pleasure is over you guys as a church and how you worship him. His pleasure is over you guys in a church and how you love each other and how you love people. Just as I walked through my family this morning, the way you guys loved us and welcomed us and served us and helped. I mean, it was incredible. Not, most churches are not like that. And then the third thing is I think his pleasure is over you guys as a church because of how you love kids. You guys are very special in that way as a church. And I just felt like the Lord wanted to say to you guys, he is so pleased that he's been able to rescue each of you and bring you together in this place. But at the same time, he wants you to know he's not satisfied yet. Because he feels that exact same longing for every one of your neighbors for every one of your coworkers, for every one of your classmates, for every one of your family members, our Father in Heaven's heart breaks for every one of his kids that don't know him yet. And the reality is, you don't have to go to China to be used by God. He has amazing things he wants to do through each of you right here in Warsaw. And he wants to send you out of this building have an impact in the places where he's put you, little lighthouses all around this town and the surrounding areas. And he has an incredible thing, a new, fresh harvest he wants to bring into this church. He's prepared you guys. He's prepared all the wineskins to receive it. And he's getting ready to bring something fresh in. But first, we have to understand his heart. So let's open up in the Bible to Matthew chapter 18. You don't have to take my word for what God's heart is and how he feels about people. Jesus himself tells us. Matthew chapter 18. The, the, the thing I found is as we want to see more of his lost kids brought home, we want to see more people reached in this community, it always starts with understanding our Father's heart. Because when we understand his heart, his love begins to infuse us, and it changes the way we behave automatically. Let, let, let's look here. Matthew 18. I'll start reading in verse 11. You, you might see something weird in your Bible. In some versions, verse 11 is actually down in the margin instead of up in the text because this one passage, we're not sure if it happens here or somewhere else in the Bible, but we know Jesus says it. It's in there multiple times. Here it is. The Son of Man came to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 in the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. I mean, he starts telling us right there in verse 11 the whole reason of why Jesus came to earth. The Son of Man came to save that which was lost. 
That, that's why he came to earth. It wasn't just some other adventure. It wasn't some other purpose. At the core of it, from the very beginning, God's plan was to get back every one of his kids that had been lost. This was why he came to earth. This was why he died on the cross. This is why he suffered here, that he could bring back every one of his kids that was lost. You think about that word lost for a second. The, the reality is, is that apart from God, apart from Jesus, every one of us is lost. We're separated from God. We're trapped in our sin. And we can't get our way back on our own. It's like a, a kid who wandered into a dark forest and is stuck there in the middle of it and has no idea how to get back out to safety again. That's the place of every person. You know, I remember one time... When I was a kid, I, I, my parents took me to a Bills game. I was maybe about 10 years old. Bills fans here, right? Okay. And, and, and so I was 10 years old. We went to the Bills game, and I'm, I'm sure they probably lost that day. And uh, <laughs> as we were in the stadium, it was one of these days they do like these promotions. They were giving out like these free plastic cups like to everyone who came in. And so I'm like a 10-year-old kid. And so as the game's kind of winding down in the fourth quarter, and it's probably a little out of reach for us, I see people start to leave, and they're all leaving their awesome plastic cups just sitting there. And so I decided I was going to go walk down the rows and start collecting myself a set of these plastic cups. And so I'm walking down the aisle, and I'm catching these cups and get, picking them up and grabbing a whole bunch of them. And while I'm doing that, the game ends. And, you know, my parents want to get back to the car. They park in someone's front yard for five bucks, you know, down, a couple miles away. And, and, and so they, they, it's one of these situations where my dad thinks I'm with my mom, and my mom thinks I'm with my dad, but I'm actually walking down the road collecting cups. And so my whole family splits. Not... At this moment, I don't even know that I'm lost. I'm just walking around happily picking up my Bill's cups and having all kinds of fun. But after a couple minutes, I look back to where my family was sitting, and they're gone. And so I kind of walked back over in that direction and got where they were and looked around. Everyone's emptying out of the stadium, and my family's totally gone. So I kind of walked up through the, the exit out into the concourse, and I'm looking around, and there's tens of thousands of people just walking by me every direction. I'm just looking around. And my family is nowhere. So I heard once, if you're lost, you should just stay in the same spot, right, and wait for someone to find you. <clears throat> so I just stood in the same spot, and I'm just sitting there waiting. Ten minutes goes by. Twenty minutes goes by. People are walking around all over. And finally, the whole thick crowd starts emptying out, and there's no one else there. It's just me sitting there by myself. Because remember, my parents had to walk several miles to the car. And it wasn't until they got to the car they realized I wasn't there. And so then they have to walk, you know, the way back again. And so they're, they're looking all around for me now, trying to figure it out. But I'm just sitting there, 30 minutes goes by, 40 minutes goes by. I see the Bills players start coming out in their fancy cars. I've never seen Thurman Thomas, okay? He came around the corner. And I, 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 so that was kind of cool, but I'm still lost, and I'm freaking out. Then finally, after about 50 minutes, I see my dad walk back around the corner. Toby came over and gave me a, a big hug and, and brought me to the car. There was kind of two stages to my lostness during that time. There was this period of time where I didn't realize I was lost. I was having fun picking up cups, but I was actually lost. And there was this other stage where I realized I was lost and I was all troubled, and I was still lost. And all around us, our neighbors, our friends, those that God has put in us in our lives, there's going to be people that are in both of those places. You have people around you that realize that they're lost. They know something's broken in their life. They're looking for something to fix it. They have that kind of spiritual hunger already stirred up inside, and that's great. And there's other people that are around you. They don't even know that they're lost. But just like me at the Bills game, that doesn't make them any less lost. Their, their, their ignorance of their situation doesn't change anything. 
Every one of us as people desperately needs Jesus to change us, to save us, and to find us. You know, sometimes, I'm sure it's out like this out in Warsaw too, in Lima where I grew up, you know, in the summer when it's much, much warmer and much, much nicer than it is right now, you'll be hanging out with your family for a barbecue in the evening, and all of a sudden the sun goes down and the mosquitoes start to descend, right? And you're having, you know, hamburgers and hanging out and talking or whatever out in the deck or in the backyard, and, and while that's happening, I, I find one of two things happen. You'll be sitting there talking to somebody, and this little mosquito will come and start flying around their head. And people, people react in one of two ways to that. Some people freak out when that happens, right? Like, there's a mosquito around your head! And they're swinging at the thing while you're trying to have a conversation, right? And, and then there's people like me. This might make me a bad friend, but we're, we're talking, and it's a mosquito, and it's flying around your head, and we're having a good conversation, and I, I, I might just not interrupt it, really, to tell you. I mean, it's a mosquito. It's not going to give you a gunshot wound, right? I mean, we're, 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 we're going to have a conversation. The worst that's going to happen is you're going to get a little mosquito bites. You might, you might just not say anything. And sometimes when we think about our friends and coworkers and neighbors that don't know Jesus yet, we imagine they just have a mosquito problem. Yeah, they, they need Jesus. And, you know, probably if I was a good friend, I, I would say something to them and, and tell them about it. But, you know, we're having a good conversation. I don't really want to mess the thing up and interrupt with this. Your friends do not have a mosquito problem. They have a black widow crawling up their arm. The urgency and the importance of our situation where apart from Christ is a very, very big deal. And sometimes we can talk ourselves into it and we can trick ourselves about it. That this is just some kind of thing that maybe I should say something about or maybe I shouldn't or maybe it kind of, No, they're lost. They're lost. They don't know him. They're on their way to a Christless eternity. That is the reality for everyone apart from Christ. And this matters. It's a big deal. God kind of illustrates in this passage how, how he feels about those that are in that lost place. He, he says the story like this. He says, if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 in the hills and go to look for that one that wandered off? And, you know, right here, Jesus is talking to farmers and to shepherds as he's telling the story. And you can tell in the way he asks the question that it's begging the response from them of, yes, that's exactly what a shepherd would do. And, and he goes on, he says, and if he finds it, truly I tell you, he's happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. And as he's talking to these shepherds, they're all nodding their heads and going, yes, that, that's exactly how he would feel. But well, what is it about a shepherd that would think in what seems like a bizarre way like that, that you would risk the 99 to go and just find the one? You see, for a shepherd, his sheep are his treasure. They're everything to him. He doesn't have money in a bank somewhere. He doesn't have houses or property that's where his wealth is stored up. His sheep are his wealth. His sheep are his treasure. It's what's precious to him. But not just in a money way, but there's this, this sense of preciousness about a sheep. You know, it says in the Bible that the shepherd knows every sheep by name out of a hundred. I mean, think how much you like your cat or your dog. And you're going at work most of the day. This dude's with his sheep all the time. He's with them all the time, all day and all night. He's with like his family. And so each of these sheep, he's got a relationship with and is precious to them. And so one of them wanders off. It's not just a loss of 1% of his wealth, 
but it's also this thing that he cares about. But you see, there's also this aspect. The shepherd understands the danger to the sheep when he wanders off, when he's lost. You see, before I would just think, you know, oh, if the shepherd, sheep just kind of went around a hill somewhere and you just call his name and he'll come back. But, but what happens is on these Judean hills, these sheep will wander off and go around the hill and they'll get a little tired. And then they'll lay down on the incline. And then as they're laying on the incline, they'll just kind of wiggle a little bit or shake a little bit. And the way the sheep's body is made, it'll roll right back up onto its back. And the weird way about how sheep are made is that once they roll onto their back like that, they're like a turtle and they can't get themselves back over again. And so there's the sheep, will, it's good, there's a name for it, it's called a cast sheep. And so the sheep will put himself in a situation where he gets cast. His little four legs are wiggling up in the ground like that. And you can imagine the helplessness and almost the comedy of the look of the situation, but it's actually really serious. Because the way their bodies are made, as they're in that situation, their stomach starts swelling up with gases. And first, it'll cut off circulation to their legs. And then on a hot day, within just a couple hours, it'll cut off their breathing passages and they die. And so when the shepherd sees that one of his hundred sheep has wandered off, he's not thinking, oh, this guy's just on a walk somewhere doing some kind of a fun thing. He goes, no, my sheep must have cast itself. The sheep is somewhere stuck on its back, and there's a countdown going of just minutes or hours until that sheep's going to die. And this is how a shepherd feels about a sheep. And God says, I feel about people like that. He says, the people, every person out there, everyone that doesn't know me yet is like one of my treasures. They're precious to me and valuable to me. I don't care about money or this. I want these people back home. But it's not just in some kind of a financial way again. Every single person in this world. I mean, you just close your eyes with me and think about it for a second. Think about some of your coworkers that work with you. Think about some of your neighbors that don't know them yet. Think about family members connected to you that don't know them yet. Every one of them is precious to him. He loves them, and he longs for them. And he would leave 99 to go get that one person back home. You can open your eyes. You know, in the passage in Luke, when it tells the same story, it says when the, when the shepherd finds the sheep, he picks it up and puts it on its shoulders and carry it back home. The idea is that the sheep has been cast, and its legs are not working anymore. So he goes and takes the sheep and puts it up on his shoulders and carries it back home in Luke 15. Well, think about that for a second. Do you know how big a sheep is? A small breed weighs 150 pounds. A big breed weighs more than me, 250 pounds. That's a major commitment to this thing to do it. I mean, if you really think about it, if I'm taking a sheep and putting them up on my shoulders, I'm kind of putting the gross part of the sheep all up in my neck and head, right? That's not something I would want to do with a sheep. They're dirty. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen them before, and I'm getting it all up on top of me. But that's how God feels. It's, it's, oh, this precious one. I just want to bring it back home. I just want to oh, take care of it. It's precious to me. It's my treasure. You know, the Bible, it doesn't just talk about us like sheep. You know, it gives the example that those of us that don't know him yet are like lost sons and daughters, right? You know, I, I don't know what it means to permanently lose one of my children, but I, I've tasted the feeling at least a little bit. 
about a year ago, we were in China, and Michaela was working on something, so I, I took our, our three oldest kids to a playground that was in the middle of an outdoor shopping mall. And it was this really nice little playground there, and a place we'd go about a mile from our house, we could just play, and the kids could have fun. And so I brought uh, Maya, Eva, and Jordan, who was maybe three or four at the time. They're playing in the playground and having fun. One of the things that's weird when you start having a lot of kids is you have more kids than eyeballs. And so when you're trying to keep track of them, it gets like a little tricky sometimes. And so I'm watching, I'm like, look, there's Maya, there's Eva, and there's Jordan going down the slide. There's Maya, Eva, and Jordan. I look over one time, there's Maya, there's Eva. Where's Jordan? I kind of stood up and said, Jordan, buddy. Hey, Jordan? Looked around a little bit, kind of trying to look at the, the playground and see if he was behind a slide or something. I, I can't see him. So I just started doing a 360 of the whole, the whole playground, kind of checking out every angle around all the people everywhere. And he's not there. And I look around, and there's just hundreds of people streaming by me in this outdoor shopping mall in every direction. So I, I start freaking out. So I, I go over to a restaurant, and I say, Jordan, are you here? No, and I kind of walk over to the next store. Jordan, are you here? No, now I'm starting to freak out. I'm starting to run. So I go to the next one. Hey, Jordan? Jordan, are you here? Jordan? Jordan? And I check all the stores and restaurants in the whole square where we are, and he's not anywhere. Now I'm totally freaking out. So I grab mine, even my oldest. I sit him on a bench and say, you guys just sit right here. And now I just start sprinting through the whole other wings of the mall. I'm just going everywhere. Jordan? Jordan? I get a security guy to help me. Hey, Jordan? Jordan? security guys, we're looking everywhere. And this is not like a one-minute problem. This is like a 10-minute process. And 10 minutes is done. We've checked every store in the whole thing. And Jordan's gone. And I cannot describe to you the feeling in that minute of somebody took my son. My son is gone. And I didn't even know where to look anymore. So I went back to where my girls were, and I, I just... It was like a, a part of your heart dies. And so I decided to just look at a couple of the little stores right around the playground again. So I just looked in, and I called out again, and I, I called out in this restaurant. And there was two stories to it, and one of the people goes. And so I went up the stairs in this restaurant, and there, sitting at the top, playing with another little boy, was Jordan sitting there. I ran over, I grabbed him. I said, oh, Jordan, you're safe. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> And that feeling again in that moment after finding him, it was like my heart came alive again. I was restored. Something, everything was made right in my world. It, and that feeling when Jordan was gone, of a little part of my heart being dead, is how our Heavenly Father feels for every one of his kids that don't know him yet. The person who lives next door to me, the person with the desk across from me, my sister-in-law, every one of those that doesn't know him yet, our father's heart hurts like that for them. And when one of them come home, when one of them come home, he feels that thing of when I found Jordan. Oh, you're, you're back. Don't ever leave again. <laughs> oh, you're back. You're back. Everything's made whole and right again. That's how our father feels for each that doesn't know. And we have to understand his heart. We have to understand how he feels because he wants to share that with us. 
I remember later on during that first year that I was in China, God showed me even further of how far he was willing to go for someone. I, I, I was, we had this one friend named Gary who we played basketball with all year. He's probably the guy we connected with the most the whole time we were in China. And for some reason, he just never seemed open to God. And so even though we'd seen so many people come to Christ during that year, we'd never even really gotten a whole chance to share with Gary. He just never seemed like he was there at all. And so we were going into our very last time we were going to see Gary before we moved back to America. We were going to meet him at a tea house. And I remember being in the taxi with Matt on the way to the, the tea house just saying, God, don't, don't you care about Gary too? Wouldn't you do something to help him here too? praying for an opportunity. And as we got out of the taxi and met Geary, I remember walking in with him and we're sitting at the tea house and we're drinking tea and playing a card game and just kind of talking about life, three guys hanging out together. And all of a sudden he interrupts and he says, hey, Toby and Matt, I got to ask you something. How can I follow Jesus too? What do you mean, Gary? You've never even been interested before. He began to tell a story. A few weeks earlier, Matt had gone with him to buy some basketball shoes at this outdoor market area in China. And as they were going, Matt had a bag with his digital camera in it, and they're shopping for these basketball shoes for Matt. At some point, Matt sets the bag down and leaves it and goes to the next door. And if you've ever been to one of these outdoor market areas in another country, you take something like that and set it down and walk, it's gone. And so they went back, and they, they checked all the different places, and they went back, and no one had it. It was, it was gone. So Matt came back to the house that night and was feeling pretty bummed and Remember, he went into his room, and, and he's spending some time praying. And as he's praying, he feels like the Lord says to him, Matt, I want to give you back your camera. Go check one more time. And so Matt says, okay, it feels like a little sheepish because they already checked, and he didn't want to bother anyone. But he calls Gary up and says, hey, Gary, it's going to sound really weird, but I feel like God told me he's going to help me find the camera. Would you help me go look one more time? And Gary said, sorry, dude, it's gone. So Matt called another friend up, and the other friend was willing to go look with them. And so they went back, and they checked all the same stores they checked before, but this time they asked at a store, and there's this old Chinese grandmother sitting on the stoop, and she goes, oh. And she walked into the back room, and she came back, and she had Matt's bag. And she came, and she gave it to him. And he opened up the bag to see if the camera was still there, and he took it out, and it was still there, and he turned it on to make sure it was okay that... The Chinese grandma had been playing with his phone and had taken a video of herself on accident. But, but it was good. It was, it, was, it was still there. And so he goes away and calls Gary and says, Hey, Gary, I told you I just found the camera. God help me, just like he said he would. And Gary said, That's impossible. That's a miracle. Well, that night, Gary's talking with his girlfriend. He tells her this story of the camera and how it's blowing his mind a little bit and maybe God's real after all. And he's just thinking about these things and telling her about it. The next morning, his girlfriend goes in for this major exam that anybody in China who wants to go into graduate school has to ace. And you're competing against all the millions of other students who are taking the same test to get these few spots in graduate school. And so this super high pressure determines the future of your life kind of test. And so she's in the middle of this super high pressure test, taking it and doing her thing. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of the test, she gets terribly sick to her stomach. She tries to push it off, but it becomes like, I need to go to the bathroom now. So she calls the proctor over and they take her to the bathroom and she goes in the bathroom and she's in the bathroom and she has, maybe we'll call it an explosive moment. And uh, just, she's just very sick. It's very gross. And she does her thing and she looks over and there's no toilet paper. And so she's freaking out because 
the test that determines the future of her life is going on right now. She's in the bathroom sick. She's totally gross. She doesn't know what to do or whatever. And somehow in the desperation of that moment, she prays. And she says, God, I don't know if you're real, but Gary told me you helped this friend Matt. And if you're real, I need your help right now. And she opens her eyes and a roll of toilet paper rolls under the stall wall. And so she's having this divine encounter on the toilet while her test is going on. And so she, she, she realizes she does, does her thing, goes back, finishes the test. But afterwards, she calls Gary and she says, Gary, God's real after all. He says, what are you talking about? I, I prayed and he gave me toilet paper. What? You know? And so she tells him the whole story. And now Gary's sitting with us at the tea house several weeks later. And he says, I need to know how can I follow Jesus too. I believe that he's real. I need to know it. And so right there at the tea house, our last time seeing him, we get to pray with him and lead Gary into a relationship with Christ. The next morning, he comes over to our house, we baptize him in the bathtub, and that was the last time I ever got to see Gary. I mean, it's just this incredible thing. And I was going away in the taxi cab after this encounter, and I just started crying because how far God would go to bring this one person back home. Again, he had to send two, two guys all the way over to China had to have those conversations with them. And, and, and they had to go out for, and Matt had to lose his digital camera. And, and God had to put a Chinese grandmother there at just the right moment. He had, to, he had to inflict somebody with diarrhea, right? And then, and then he has to come down and roll toilet paper under the stall wall. All so he could have Gary come back home. All so he could have his lost kid come back home. The same way I was running around like an idiot at that mall, not caring at all, just that I could find Jordan. That is what our Heavenly Father is willing to do, that he could bring anyone back home. That's how he feels about it. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing, is he wants to invite us into being a part of that process with him. A few weeks ago, I was... I was trying to remember the details of that story of when we lost Jordan. And so I called Maya, my oldest, over, and we went into their bedroom, and we have a little lazy boy chair. It's kind of like our reading chair there. And I sat down, and I said, come here, honey. And she came and sat in my lap, and I said, do you remember that one time? Do you remember that one time we were at the playground and we lost Jordan? And I'm sitting there with my little girl. She tears start filling up her eyes. I said, I said what, what are you feeling, honey? She said, I, I just remember. I was running all over, looking for him. And when I was running, there were tears filling up my eyes. You see, my daughter was so in touch with my heart as her father that as I was running around, I didn't even know it, but she was doing the same thing running and looking at all these stores. And, and she understood what I felt so much in that moment that as a little seven-year-old, she's running around and tears are filling up her eyes. You see, our father is looking for found sons and daughters to help bring his lost sons and daughters back home. He's looking for found sons and daughters that would so understand his heart that they would feel with him. They would even cry with him about the things that his heart is breaking over. Our, our Father is looking 
for lost sons and daughters who, despite their personality type or their gifting or anything else, would have something inside of them that says, there's a lost one. I'm running around crazy too. And we'll be doing that with him. That's what our Father is inviting us into. Because this room right here is filled with amazing found sons and daughters. And for those of us that are here, we start saying, okay, God, I, I want to be a part. I don't, I don't know what to do, I, but I, I want to share that with you, Jesus. I want to share that with you, Father. I want to be that kind of a found son or daughter. I found in all the stuff we've done in China and in the States and all over, there's this amazing first step to starting to feel what he feels and to actually have the heart to run around with him like that. And it's simply this, to begin praying for those that God has put in my life that don't know him yet. To begin praying for them. During the break, our ushers handed out some of these cards. Do you have those around you there? If you do, just, just kind of pull it out. Does anyone need one? There's some extras around here. Anyone else need one? On the white side of this card here, it, it just says this. It says, my circle, my responsibility. It has a scripture there in the corner. It says, 1 Timothy 2.4, God our Savior desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I, I want us to just do something. You can just pull a pen out of your purse. If you don't have a pen with you, I know we've we got some extra ones here we can share or just share with someone nearby. i got one here if anyone needs one. But I just want us to take a minute as we get ready to end here. I just want us to write a list of those that God has put in my circle of relationships that doesn't know him yet. I'm thinking those that are in our family, those that are our close friends, those that are our workmates, those that uh, live near us, our neighbors, those who are our classmates. Just start making a list, not, not of those who you feel like are open to God or who isn't or anything like that. Just everybody that's in your close circle that doesn't know him yet. Do we need a pen? Over there. If you, if you need another one, just hold your hand. We'll see if we can get a couple passed around to you and share it together. But let's just take maybe two minutes right now and just make a list. It's our next door neighbor. It's the person in the apartment downstairs from us. the guy who shares my office at work. There's the other girls in our part of the office at work. My brother doesn't know him yet. My parents don't know him yet. My roommate at college doesn't know him. Some of my buddies from my hall, they don't know him yet. Just start, just start writing down all their names. You don't need the whole name. It's the first name. It's great. As long as you know who it is. I just take another 30 seconds. Get as many as you can down there. Someone you walk your dog with or someone in a club with you or the guys at the Tuesday night basketball league that you're in. 
I, I just want to read the last verse from that passage over these ones. It says this. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. You know, sometimes we might doubt the Lord's heart. Of, does he want to save them? He is so clear about this. 2 Peter 3 says, The Lord does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And 1 Timothy 2, right in the card, God our Savior wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Every person on this card, your Heavenly Father wants back home. And so as you pray and talk to him about them, you can pray with the confidence he wants them back home. He wants to save them. He wants to rescue them. He doesn't want them to perish. He does want to, them to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what he tells us in his word. And when I pray, you can kind of see it in the background of the, where we just wrote their names. There's four words there. Open hearts and open doors. And I just pray those two things. It's so simple. Just I'll maybe pick one person off that list when I'm reading my Bible or when I get a spare minute. And I just, you know, this, this guy is, is Victor. And so I, I, I just pray for Victor. I say, God, I just ask that you would open Victor's heart, that you would give him an awareness of his need for you. He wouldn't be like me wandering down the seats not realizing he's lost. He would understand he's lost. He would understand that he needs you. And just, just open, whatever you've got to do, Lord, tenderize his heart and open his heart so that he'd be willing to hear. I'm praying for open hearts. And the second thing is I, I start praying for open doors. God, I just ask that you would somehow give me an open door to share your love with him. I, I don't feel like I'd be good at it. I don't feel like I know what I'm saying or what I'm doing. But if I could somehow be used, Lord, would you just somehow open the door naturally in conversation for me to be able to share with him something about your love, to invite him to church or just do something, God? Would you open the door for that? I, I just pray those two really simple things. And I've just seen over and over and over and over how God will come in and he'll change a person's heart. I remember just, uh, just a year ago, uh, a year and a half ago, one of the guys in China who's in the church that we started over there named Jack, he and I would just get together and we would just walk on his campus one morning a week and we'd just pray for his roommates to know Jesus. We'd just walk around the campus just praying and asking that God would do something among the, the five roommates that he had. And as time went by, one day he and I were walking together and we saw two of the roommates. We just headed off and started connecting and talking and and, and somehow God came up in the conversation. He opened a door. And they said, we would love to hear more about that. So we had opened their hearts. So the next day, we sat with them on the campus on a little stone table with four stools around it. And we just shared with them about Jesus. And his two roommates, Daniel and Nate, they gave their lives to Christ. I remember I, I, when I asked the question after we shared, I said, do you want to follow Jesus too? Daniel said, yeah, I do. And Nate looked at me and he said, I've been waiting my whole life for this. There are people in your circles of relationships that have been waiting their whole lives for someone to talk to them about Jesus. A couple weeks later, we're walking on campus again, and one of his roommates, Andy, walks nearby us. We sit down with Andy for lunch, and we're hanging out, and I find out Andy grew up in a Christian home but is not following the Lord, and we just start talking about him, and Andy starts weeping over a bowl of noodles and gives his life to Christ right there. Now, three of his roommates have come to Christ. See, it just takes us beginning to pray, and God will do the work of working in people's hearts. And so I, on the other side of the sheet here, it has this. It says, on the dark side, it says, my commitment. I commit to pray for the next 30 days for the salvation of those in my circle that don't yet know Jesus. I just want to give us an opportunity, we're going to pray in a second as we end, to kind of make a commitment in our own hearts today. 
say, Jesus, I'm, as a found son and daughter, joining with you today to begin praying that your lost kids would come back home. Let's close our eyes together. Lord, this is an incredible church. And you have prepared this church over all these years to be a force in this community for good. And there are people all around the individual people in this church that Pastor John is never going to have a chance to reach. The leaders of the church are never going to have a chance to reach. But you've put us in their circle of relationships. And as we pray, you will open that door through us. And so, Lord, not just as the leadership of the church, but for every individual person in this church right here, I ask that you would raise them up to be a source of life and love to those around them. Maybe a source of light to those that are around them. And then as they go out from here today, they would be with a new purpose and a new commitment in their heart, saying, I'm a found son and daughter, and I'm joining with my father to share what he feels and to share what he's doing to bring his lost kids back home. And with that simple step of just praying that you would begin to use them as a lighthouse that changes their whole circle around them. And if you're here today and you're saying, yes, that's me. I, I, I want my heart to be joined with him in this. I, I want to stand with my father in this. And I just challenge you in your heart, not before me or anyone else, but just between you and the Lord, just make a commitment today to begin to pray. You can sign your name even right in that card as a kind of way to, to steal it and to say that I'm, I'm going for this. You don't have to if you don't want to. But just say, I'm going to begin to pray for those that don't know him yet. And God, if there's any way you can use me in my weakness, in my ignorance, and my brokenness, I'm available. And God, just like when he sent me to China, he will take that simple first step and he's going to use it to do a miracle through your life and to bring life to those around you. So Lord, we just ask that you would bless this church. We're excited for next week as we're going to keep getting equipped in the next steps of doing this. But use this church to be light to every person around them. Not just the leadership, but every individual one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.